Acts chapter 2, it said, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were in the upper room there. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Jesus had told his disciples to wait until they had received power. They weren't to go out and be the witness until they received power. When they waited on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came just as Jesus said. And what happened is it was a sound as if it was a mighty wind. It wasn't a mighty wind. It was a sound as if, and it fell upon them. And what was the response? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the sign that God decided to use right away was the gift of tongues. Not the one, out of all the, all the giftings that, that God could have chosen on that day to have happen, I mean, calling down fire miracles, there was fire coming upon them, right? But I mean, chose the gift of tongues. And as we talked about last week, a really touchy subject, because some of the church, you know, they believe that the, the, the tongues ceased uh, with the finishing of Scripture. Um, I do not believe that. I believe that uh, the, the, the Spirit is active and alive and the gifts are still operating today. And when we see them speaking in tongues, we see them glorifying God in heaven. They're singing, they're speaking praises to the Lord. And it says there, like, what, what the environment was like. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard in their own language, their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Aren't these people uneducated lake people? You know, basically that's what they were saying. You know, isn't this guy from Nazareth? Isn't the guy from Galilean? You know, who are these guys? They're uneducated. They're not like us. How can they speak these other language? languages? And verse 8 says, Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And he goes, uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, uh, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs and people from Walla Walla and other places. They were hearing him declare the wonders of God in our own language. That's what they're saying. We heard them speak in our own language. It's the Feast of Pentecost. Jews were required to go to those three feasts. We have Passover, we have Pentecost, and we have the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And they were all required to go to those if they could walk, you know, if it was reasonable, once a year. And so people from all over the world who were Jewish came to Jerusalem. They were all gathered there, and so God uses this as an opportunity to begin to pray, proclaim God as, as the church is born. And notice everybody from all these different languages hears it, and we're going to see they are saved. And what do they go do? they go back to where they came from. God's marvelous plan. I just absolutely love it. And so I spoke uh, in depth on tongues last week. I'm not going to get into it or more in depth. And if you want to go online and check it out, it's uh, September 
2013 or 2012, I believe, September 9th and or the second and ninth. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit is the title of the message. But all these different people from all these different places, both Jews and converts to Judaism, they all heard the wonders of God in their own language. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And like I said last week, if, if you, know, you had 120, let's say this room was pretty big and you had 120 people, there's a big wind that comes or sound like a wind, and then all of a sudden people start speaking in tongues and you're starting to understand what they're saying in your own language, you'd be like, what in the world is going on here? What's going on? What is the meaning of this? And that was what they were, they were amazed and perplexed and they asked one another, what does this mean? And it says, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They've had new wine, right? They've had too much new wine. They're crazy. They're high. You know, and we talked about that this last week, that there will always be those when you step out and, and, and are starting to uh, let the Holy Spirit use you in whatever capacity it is, sharing the Lord, loving someone, using, uh, stepping out and in, 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 in speaking something to someone in faith, there will always be the go, what does this mean? Those who are seeking God, who actually are, are, are interested in, in hearing what God is saying. And there will be the others who mock and say, man, you're full of it. You're full of it. And as brothers and sisters who are to be spirit-led, when God calls us to speak in weird circumstances, you see that person on the side of the road, I want you to go talk to him. And you just have this nudge, right? And you go and you go, oh, I don't really want to do that, you know? It's like, that's not what I want to do. Well, you go out and you start to do it, and it's a big gamble, isn't it? In your own heart, you got a war going on, anyone? Just me. All right, you guys do, right? I know you do. And the response, you're wondering, what, what are they going to say? And, and you know what? The truth is, sometimes they open it. They're open, and they receive what was said. And sometimes they're like, you know what? You're full of it. Get out of here. And they try to be polite at first, right? It happens. So you have these two people groups. What's going on? God's going to answer them through Peter in a minute. And so let's, it says some of them, however, made fun of them. They've had too much wine. And I would say that, yes, they were filled with new wine. The new wineskins were filled with new wine, like Jesus said. Amen? This wine of the Spirit. And verse 14 says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. The crowd. And remember last week, who was it that stood up? Peter. Out of all the people the one who denied Jesus, stood up. And again, what's the difference between Peter and the Gospels and Peter and Acts? The Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Any of you guys feel like a Peter? Yes, I want to follow the Lord. I want to share. I want to be that light. I want to blah, blah, blah. And I just, I will do it. I'll even die for you, Lord. And then when it comes to it, you've got a, a, a little slave girl comes up and says, hey, weren't you with him? You go, I don't even know him. And you start cussing and run away. That's what Peter did. That's literally what he did. And he wept bitterly. Denied him three times in one night. Said he would do it. I don't know about you, about following, following the Lord and stepping out in faith. And I feel like Peter a lot. I really do. There's missed opportunities. And I thought I would be able to do it. But man, it's just my stupid flesh. You know, I'm just not, I can't do it. It has to be God in me. 
And there has to be a surrender that, to that in my soul. Yes, Lord, I will do it. No matter what the cost, no matter what the consequences, though they crucify me, I will step out and I will speak what you put on my heart. I will love this person. I will show this. I will do this. It'll be a natural thing to resist that in our flesh. But we are to be people of the Spirit. And notice real quickly, what does it say? Peter stood up with the 11. Who do we stand up with? Look to your left and right. We are not alone in this. How many elders and how many times do you get a text from me? Hey, I'm going to meet someone with someone. I'm going to talk to someone. Pray for me. I'm not walking into this alone. I need backup. And the guys are busy in their day and they just go, oh yes, Lord, bless Matt, be with them, and they move on. And the Lord hears that and he starts working. It's awesome. It's powerful. We should be bugging one another in circumstances. Peter stood up with the 11 and now he's going to address the seekers and the mockers. He's going to address the seekers and the mockers. And here he goes, fellow Jews, Verse 14, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, today, in these days, I know it's a little different, but then it was, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter stands up to the mockers, and what does he say? These people are not drunk. No, this is not what's going on. This is not what you say it is. But actually, this is this. And what does he do? He points them where? To his thoughts, his ideas? Where does he point them? To the word. He puts the sword in front of him and lets him deal with it. The sharp, two-edged sword of his word. He says, this is what is, this is that. He responds to those who are seeking, to those who are asking. What does this mean? He responds with Scripture. He responds to both groups. Peter doesn't give him his thoughts. He uses the sword of the Spirit. And this is how we respond to questions with the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, we respond to the questions of people in the world with the Word of God. That is what we do. Now, that brings up a problem. How many of you feel totally inadequate in that area? How many feel like you have to have the answer on the spot? Otherwise, you nullify everything. We'll address that. You know, I remember in the early days of my ministry when I was 22 or something like that, the Lord just was really pulled me out of the world and there were so many things and I was really excited about him and I remember having this urgency to pray, God, make me know your word more. I just felt inadequate. And so I'm in my mom's living room and I was praying that and then I got a knock at the door and the door opens and there's some Jehovah's Witnesses who who would like to share with me. And so I decide I'm going to go out there and test my skills and they just, they just knew all the answers. They had the machine gun answers that would trap everything. It was just pretty fun. And I just was so darn discouraged. I was so discouraged. I'm like, is what I even believe even true? Right? So I go back. 
And I go and I pray. And I just said, God. And it just, he hit me. He said, you want to know me? Come and get me. And he just antagonized me enough. And it was through, the, through apologetics, kind of, that I started, I wanted, is what I believe really what I believe? And you know what? As I went and sought him, he answered all the questions, the major ones. And there are a lot of things I still don't know, everybody. You know, I, you know I, I'm pretty sure that if I knew that, I'd be, you know, I don't know, I'd be floating around this room or something. It'd be cool. I don't. But as they were asking about the Trinity, as they were asking about all these things, I remember I opened my scriptures, and the very f- verse I opened to spoke about the Trinity. And as the, what the Lord was saying, it's true, but you got to come dig it out. Come seek me. Come find me. Am I your treasure? Know me. And Jesus said, you know, you seek the Bible so that you think that in it you have eternal life, but the scriptures point to who? This point to Jesus. And that's why we can go through Genesis. And as we went through Genesis and we were looking at the life of Joseph and all these other people, we saw Jesus all over the place. And whenever you come to a piece of scripture you don't understand, put Jesus in the middle of it. And you go, oh, wow. And so I felt like I had to know everything right then and there, and I just got stuck in their Bible traps, and they're trained to do that. I remember after going inside with questions and doubts, and the Lord spoke to my heart, and he does. He comes in, but so often we just get hit, and we stop, and we go, oh, forget it, and we run away. And we feel so ill-prepared. I was motivated like Peter, but I just, I just didn't know the Lord very well, you know? And I'm, it's been a, a lifelong journey of knowing his word, finding out a lot of failure. Anybody had failure? Yeah, okay, that's part of it, just to let you know. Failing and getting back up and the Lord speaking to us as sons and daughters. So today I know the Lord more. I know his word more. I know Jesus more, and I'm learning to lean upon his spirit and his words, which are spirit. And more and more as I interact with people, the less and less I try to give my opinion. You know, Paul, when he came to, I think it was the Corinthians, he he just said, you know, I I chose not to come to you with eloquent eloquent words and all that stuff, and I chose to be a mumbler like Matt. You know, I chose to come not with, you know, eloquence and all these diagrams and these charts and everything that I could, but I just came preaching Christ and him crucified, lest the power of, of the gospel that be of no effect. And friends, this is what we have to realize. You're worried about you and the way you present it, and you're worried about what they think of you. We must die and just trust that God can use a broken vessel like each of us, that God is able and willing to say what he wants to say through you, to live through you, There are no ranks here. I'll send them to Matt. Sure, I'll talk to him. But the same spirit that's in me is in you. And you might feel foolish. The enemy's going to be attacking you and telling you to be quiet. Whatever you do, don't open your mouth. Because when you open your mouth, 
and you're just fully humbled and dependent upon the Lord, guess what? God shows up and he speaks. It's in your weakness I am made strong, not in your polished speech, not in your ability to pull out everything every, every time. And it's okay to say to someone, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. It's okay to say that. You know how many times I say that? A lot. And I should probably say it a whole lot more. I know a lot of you are going, amen. <laughs> so if questions arise and you don't know, it's okay. Wait, pray, and seek the Lord, and he'll give you what you need from his word. And this is why it's so important for us to be in fellowship with one another. It is so important for us to be fellowshipping with one another in the word, in prayer, in life. Because I don't know how to raise my kids. Anybody? I've always done what I've been shown. And how many times is that model broken because, hey, we're all connected to Adam? God wants to change that. We go to his word. What does he say? Husband and wives, he better do this or else. No? I'm sorry. Submit to him as to the Lord. Ouch. Husbands, well, she doesn't give me what I want. And love your wife as Christ loved the church. It means you die. And how's that sound? <laughs> Different way of what the world says. God has to retrain us in the kingdom ways. And as we follow him, there's actually life that happens. And so Peter says in verse 16, points him to the word. This is what the prophet Joel said. This is that which is said. And we do that. This is that. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And so Peter, he's pointing them to scripture as to what this supernatural thing is that's happening around them. And any time, brothers and sisters, this is why I was saying, if some of you have the gift of tongues, if you have, some of you have the gift of healing, if some of you have these things and you're exercising them, guess what we do? We go to Scripture. This is that. And if this isn't that which is said, then that ain't happening. Right? Amen? We've got the Word. We go to the Word. We seek it and we find it. And again, we're not going to be perfect in it. Peter points them to Scripture. If it's going against Scripture, I don't care how cool it is, how neat, how fun, how you feel, whatever, it's to cease and be ignored. Does that make you have comfort? It makes me have comfort. I just go figure it out. Let's go to the Word. What does the Lord say? That also gives us tremendous freedom. And Peter says in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. You know you're getting old when you dream a lot in church. Yeah. Seems to be biblical. Seems like a ministry here. And notice who the Spirit is for in verse 18. Both men and women, each of you young and old. Do you fall into that category? God's Spirit is for you. It's yours. Praise the Lord. Amen. 
Peter says, this is, Joel, this is what Joel was talking about way back when, the pouring out of the Spirit in the last days upon God's people. In the Old Testament, not many people were filled with the Spirit. You see it from time to time. You see the, some of the prophets and the kings, mostly prophets and kings. That's, that's what was going on. I'm so thankful it's not limited to prophets and kings, although we are kings and priests. It's for all of us, young and old. Praise the Lord. Sons and daughters, your men, women, slaves, everybody, it's yours. How awesome that God himself will come into human beings and fill us with his Holy Spirit. And now we become the temple of the Spirit. And we can ask to be filled again and again and over and over. What grace that's ours. What a promise. What a gift. You don't have to earn it. You just ask. And he gives more and more. Feeling empty this morning? Ask. And he'll give. It's yours. And so, he goes on, verse 19, says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great day of the glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so scripture in Joel speaks of the gift of the Holy Spirit and judgment soon to come and the salvation for those who call upon the name of the Lord. That's the gospel. And then, from that scripture, being filled with the Spirit, Peter begins to speak to his audience. He says, hey everybody, this is what Joel was talking about. This is the Holy Spirit being poured out in everybody in the last days. And now he says, fellow Israelites, you guys, the application. This is really important. It's like, this is what it says. And how many times do we just read scripture and we have an understanding of it? But what does that mean to me? How does that affect my life? And this is what Peter's doing. This is what the scripture said. This is the event. This is happening. And this is how it affects you. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, they saw it. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. That's a huge verse right there. And you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter's proclaiming Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Do you see it in there? His death, his burial, and his resurrection, the gospel. Now Peter's going to prophesy that Jesus was their Messiah. And so Peter's going to reason with them from the scriptures. And he goes to Psalm 16. Uh, no doubt Jesus illuminated Peter to this as he was telling him. Remember when Jesus said, hey, uh, he had that time of that 40-day period and he started talking to him about all that was going on, all the Old Testament, how it all pointed to him. Psalms, Proverbs, uh, the law of Moses. He spent some time talking to them. And am I guessing Peter's pulling from this? And so he goes here in, and he's speaking out of Psalm 16 in verse 25 of Acts. And it says, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead and you will not let your Holy One see decay. How could the Holy One not see corruption? the Messiah would have to be resurrected. This isn't speaking of David. David is dead and buried, as we will see here. 
Speaking of the Messiah, the Holy One did not see corruption. He did not see decay in the ground. So he's pulling back from Scripture the applications of the resurrection. From their, these are all Jewish people. They're all there religious. They're all Bible readers. And guess what? They're totally unsaved. They're lost. They're gone. Every single one of them. Scary. Do you know that when you are sharing the Lord with people, that most of the people that you'll be sharing the gospel with are religious? What percentage of the world is religious? 99, 98%? People, when you're, you assume, you know, when we assume that people are in church, we assume, hey, they're saved because they're doing the functions. When we assume that people talk Christian lingo, that they're saved. We assume these things and we just keep on going. Who are they talking to? Religious people. Religious people. That's a crazy, that's, a, that's an eye-opener, isn't it? They, so he's speaking to them out of their own scriptures and, and reasoning with them, saying, hey, these, this is your Messiah. David knew that the Messiah, the Holy One, would die, but God would not allow him to see corruption, decay. David is speaking of the resurrection, verse 28. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill, uh, you will fill me with joy in your presence. He's quoting, that was from Psalm uh, 16. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, he, he's dead, he's buried, he's right over here. He's in Jerusalem, right? And the tomb of David is just right down the street. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would, be, uh, he would place one of his descendants on his throne, seeing what was to come. And he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. And so Peter lays the foundation to this religious, devout crowd that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. Now Peter's going to answer the question, what does all this mean? What's the significance? This is what it means. Verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of the Father and he has received from the Father the promise, Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see here. This means that Jesus the Messiah is alive and he is well and he's on the throne and he did what he said. The, the fact that he poured out the Spirit means that he was accepted by the Father. He's righteous. He sits there at the right hand. He couldn't have done that if he was rejected. If it didn't happen, here it is. Your Messiah is alive but well and sitting on the throne in heaven and he backs it up now with more scripture for David, verse 34, did not ascend to heaven and yet he said the Lord, that is Yahweh, said to my Lord, the Messiah. And we'll get into that, but David would only call the Messiah my Lord because he's the only one greater than the king. You don't call someone Lord if you're king. Who is he calling Lord? He's calling the Lord, Lord. The Messiah. And so the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, verse 35, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Peter's telling these religious people, these dear people gathered in good conscience, David said that the Messiah will die, he's going to be raised from the dead, and he will be seated at the right hand of God until his enemies are put under his feet. And this is a period 
of time that's coming soon, the tribulation when God will take the enemies and put them under his feet. And now this is the application really for them. Verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be sure of this. God has made this Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter didn't mince words. He took the sword of the Spirit and he struck him right in the heart. You killed your Messiah. And brothers and sisters, we killed the Lord. Our sin put him on the cross. Every single one of us and the fear of that should run through every human's veins, should just shake them to their core because that Messiah that was crucified, where is he now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the Father to put all his enemies under his foot. And so now, guess what? We are in a period of grace. Grace. Where God is saying, world, come to me. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Perhaps they're calling now. You tell them. (laughs) You killed your Messiah. Now he's alive and he's sitting on the throne waiting for his enemies to be put under his feet. And the implication was they were his enemies. That was what Peter was saying. Damian Kyle says, uh, Peter doesn't view these people as customers or people he has to appease. He doesn't care what they think of him. They're not customers. They're not people they have to appease. They need the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Life, death, eternity hangs in the balance. These people who, there's people who, are, who need the truth. And Peter, he's direct and he gives them the truth. Friends, there are people who are just dying. I mean, we live in a world of such PR and such spin and such... You know, nothing is ever solid, and it's whatever, because you just want to get along. Anybody? Live in that? How many of you love to do that at your work, you know? And we have all these this monthly trainings about how not to offend anyone in the world except for you. I mean, seriously. I mean, and Peter just cuts through that and says, you killed the Messiah. He's on the throne. Is he going to win friends and influence people with that one? He didn't sandwich two positives in between one negative. He didn't try to win their approval so that they would listen. He was a man who was filled with the Spirit of God, who had been broken by God and filled, and who just spoke God's words. The world needs more men and women who are filled with the Spirit of God and who speak the Word of God directly. Paul would say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 1-4, and I spoke about this earlier, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was a purposeful heart action on Paul's part to these people. I purpose in my heart not to use all the bandwidth that I have attained, all my pharisaical knowledge, all the things that I 
you look at me and go, wow, you're amazing, you're intelligent, you're all this. I refuse to use that. I, I choose to humble myself and just preach Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Anyone here, when you share the Lord with someone, weakness, great fear and trembling. You are among friends. Paul, the apostle, writer of most of the New Testament, your partner in fear and trembling, weakness. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The powers in the gospel, Romans 1, 17. For I am not ashamed of the, of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And oh, how we rest on human wisdom. How we, oh, did they tickle my heart? Did they say it right? Did they, do you know, oh, look at the lights and the band and blah, blah, blah. And I guess I'll give my heart to Jesus because he wooed me into the kingdom with all his. Jesus speaks to the heart and says, repent. You've, you've, you've broken it. You've, you're broken. You need me. I died and I'm sitting on the throne and you will be judged if you don't come to me and receive all the love and the grace that I have for you. I've provided it. Here I am. And so it's this, we sang it this morning, that God proved that God was love and he was just on the cross. He was love and he's just both at the same time. That's the God we serve, love and just. Truth and love. And he gives them this truth. And believe me, it was full of love. I resolved to know nothing except for Christ and him crucified. Paul had resolved himself to it. He could have impressed them, but he chose not to. And brothers and sisters, preach the word and rest in it. Peter said, you are guilty of killing the Messiah who now sits on the throne. And that's the truth for each of us. In the whole world, we stand convicted. We already are condemned. We're already condemned. The whole world, apart from Christ. And the word and the spirit were working in the people, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what must I do to be saved? What shall we do? Oh man, we are busted. What, what do we do? And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts of sin. You don't need to be a master Jedi. You just be an open vessel and say, here you are. You don't need to have all the answers. You, don't need, you just speak the truth and let the Holy Spirit do what he's already been doing. And you know what you find out? Is that God's already been working in people or you will find out when you get there that you are a, a piece in the chain that brought them to the Lord or hardened their heart. We're almost done. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. We need to rely on him, don't we? Just rely on him. Trust him. And Peter replied, what must we do? The seekers want to know, what must we do? Well, get involved in the Bible study, hang out with people, and do these things, and, you know, put a fish sticker on your car. Vote this way, do that. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent. change your mind which brings about a change of action 
agree with God about what he says about you and conform your life to what he says. That's what repenting is. Agree with God with what he says and change your life according. It's not just a one-time deal. It's you, are, you now have a heart towards God. You have a, you're, you've been changed and you're moving towards him in your heart and your life. Repent and be baptized, each one of you. Be immersed in the Lord for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. What grace. When people are convicted by the Spirit of God, what do we tell them? What advice do we give them? They're looking for hope, brothers and sisters. They're looking for hope, and so what help do we give them? Peter's answer is your hope is repent. To turn towards God. The reason why you have going on which, which, which you have going on is because your heart's at war with God. Turn to him and you have peace. Give it over. Repent. Turn. And you'll have peace. Brothers and sisters, it's the same for you this morning. If there's sin in your life, things that you are going, oh, oh. You have that war going on. Don't harden your hearts because God will let that get more callous, more callous, more callous so you won't even hear his voice anymore. And that's a dark place to be. But turn to him now and say, God, I've sinned. Even if you don't even feel like it, it's not about feelings. You just turn to him and say, God, I'm hard-hearted. I really don't care about this, but I know it's just repent. Come help me. I've had to do that. I have to do that often. Turn to him. Let him fill you and soften your heart again and give you hope. Repentance is a change of mind that produces a change of direction to stop going this way and to start going that way. People will have their fears alleviated and have hope when they respond to the Spirit of God and repent to turn towards Him. He is the King of peace. And that's why, what, is, what does the Lord say when He opens up, I mean, when, when, Pete, when Paul is teaching the gospel to each of the churches, He starts with what? Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. First grace, and then comes the peace. Grace and peace to you, church. Grace and peace. The king who's seated on, seated on the throne, who's righteous, grace and peace to you this morning. His grace and his peace, how he loves you. Turn to him. Even more today. Follow him. And that's the message we send to people. Repent. And so repent. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of sins. And obviously gets in, we can talk in about baptismal regeneration right now. I don't think that's where I want to go but I can talk to you about that. Verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. They only gave an excerpt of his sermon. It went long and over and they were probably all, come on, Peter, wrap it up. You know, he said, with many other words. And so you guys know what that means, right? I certainly don't. (laughs) Will you please be quiet, preacher? I know we've got like 30 seconds left. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. That word corrupt corrupt means perverse. It means crooked. It means not straight, not true. Save yourselves. If ever this was a message needed to be preached today, uh, preached, it's today. When men are kissing men on TV and it's praised by the media, by role models and our president, And anyone who reacts to it in less than a supportive way is homophobic or intolerant. 64% of self-identifying evangelical millennials support same-sex marriage. 
When the CEO of Mozilla is fired for donating $1,000 10 years ago to support marriage between one man and one woman in California, yet over the past 10 years, Warren Buffett has donated $1.2 billion to abortion groups with no recourse. We live in a nation where 3% of American people will, ha will ha we live in a nation where 3% of people in America will wait to have sex before marriage. 20%, it's a little higher, in religious groups. Where 28,258 people every second will view pornography. Pornography is growing into a $10 billion business, bigger than the NFL, the NBA, and the Major League in basketball combined. And most of the nation's Corporations are quietly sharing the profits. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being created in the United States. 11,000 movies a year. Our nation is $17.7 trillion in debt, $20 trillion by 2016. $100 trillion in unfunded li liability. Where people film their abortions and are praised for their bravery. We live in a generation that cloaks murder in women's reproductive health where about one million abortions will be performed this year in the U.S., one every 26 seconds, 173 during this service. Over 50 million uh, since Roe v. Wade 40 years ago, and I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And people are all worried about politics. I'm worried about the king on the throne who looks at a nation that is godless, and it is just accepting such filth and darkness. And people are praising it and, 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 and hugging it as if it's good and it's evil and it's breaking us. And there's going to be judgment and we're going to die. He's going to smoke us, guys. And we are the light. And we're not here for behavior modification. We're here to preach freedom from that. We've all been a part of it. We've all touched it. We've all embraced it. And it's permeated our lives. We're not guiltless. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. The Holy Spirit came and he's desiring that we would be a people who are free from this, holy, set apart to him. And that is a work of grace. And then when we take the plank out of our own eye, may we have the grace and the love to preach the truth to the world around us. How can a righteous God withhold his judgment for the sake of the elect? And that is very narrow. So with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Repent and call upon Jesus to be saved. He's not going to let this go on forever. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Their lives changed, and they devoted themselves. They chose to be pulled apart out of that and into the fellowship of the believers. What did they do? Acts 2.43, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. They devoted themselves to it. It's a fellowship. Hanging out with brothers and sisters. That's where it's koinonia. It's in the spirit. Breaking of bread. They were eating together. They were having communion together. And they were praying for one another. And this is what we want to do this summer. On Wednesday nights. 
gather the whole church together on Wednesday nights to be in Acts 242 fellowship over the summer. And so bring out your family on Wednesday nights starting June 4th, 6 to 8 p.m. through the summer. We'll worship a little. We'll be in the Word a little. We'll pray a little. We'll eat a lot. We're going to switch it up. We're going to break into groups. We're not going to break into groups. We're going to, it's just, we'll be a good time. Refresh yourself in the Lord. Come out. And not only that, invite people. Not for the sake of getting numbers, but for Jesus. Just Jesus. We're kicking it off, you know, with a potluck. We'll, we'll emphasize this more next week. But it says there in closing, everyone was filled with awe, the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together, uh, believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give as anyone who had them who had need. They were not told they had to give. It was a voluntary thing on those who had to give. They were not expected to give. It was a worship act. As someone saw someone need something in the body of Christ, they sold something and they gave it to them. It was not mandated from the government on high. It was from the heart, the benevolence. We need to return to that. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. How often? Every day. Boy, Sundays are hard. Every day they continued to meet together in the courts. And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Boy, don't we like to go, the Lord adds the numbers and then we break it down into how to do that. How do we get this? Numbers are a fruit. You're healthy sheep. You love Jesus. You love each other. God's going to add other sheep. You're sick, broken sheep. You need to hang out with Jesus. You're not going to multiply very well. Amen? So let's hang out with Jesus this week. What do you say? Let, let his joy and his love fill you and overflow to the people around you. And I went way long. Over time, I know it. Well, I- all right, cool. Grace and peace to me. Father, we love you, we, we praise you, and we thank you. And I, I ask that each person here would be blessed and encouraged, edified, built up in your spirit, and whatever you've called them to do this morning, I pray that they would do it in your joy, in your strength, and your power. In the name of Jesus, amen.